Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is October 24th. Today we are going to begin a brand new Come Follow Me block, which is Doctrine and Covenants section 124. Now section 124 is the longest in terms of verses, but it's interesting because usually when there is a really long section, it's because the Lord is introducing or teaching about a new doctrine. But this section is different because this section is really, really long. But instead of it being a a new doctrine that the Lord is trying to teach or expound upon, this is a section filled with go and do. He's talking to all these different people in early church history and giving them their command, letting them know what they needed to do to further the work along. Now, rather than go through this section and talk about each individual person and what they were asked to do, we're just going to take a look at these commands from the Lord in a general way and how they can apply to each of us. Now, this section, section 124, is given in January of 1841. Now, that's significant because the previous section is given in 1839. So we have this lapse of time here. And it's important to understand because here in section 124, now all of a sudden we're entering the Nauvoo period of the church. Because we have this lapse in time, it's important to understand how we got to Nauvoo. So if you'll remember in sections 121 through 123, Joseph Smith was in Liberty Jail. And while he was in Liberty Jail, the members of the church were being exiled from Missouri. Remember, the people in Missouri didn't like the saints because the saints, for the most part, were from the north. And now all of a sudden, here they are in Missouri, and they are anti-slave, and they disagree politically with the native Missourians. And it just causes all this tension. And so now that Joseph Smith is in Liberty Jail, the people of Missouri kind of seize this opportunity to begin to kick the members of the church out of Missouri take their things, take their land, take their livestock, and really you're just treating the people so poorly. So in October of 1838, while Joseph is in Liberty Jail, something that's now called the Battle of Crooked River happened, which essentially was the church's militia just happened upon some members of the Missouri militia. And according to the members of the church, the members of the Missouri militia thought that the church militia was coming after them to kill them, to take their lives. And so they're there at Crooked River and this conflict kind of escalates. And in this conflict, three members of the church are killed and one member of the Missouri militia. Now it's interesting because the Missouri militia then communicates to Governor Boggs, the governor of Missouri at the time, that the church militia attacked them, that they came out of nowhere that they were the aggressors in this whole scenario. Now, I wasn't there. I'm not going to say what's true or what wasn't. But in my imagination, if the church militia was the one who was aggressive, if they were the attackers, if they sneak attacked this Missouri militia, I don't think that it would have been three members of the church militia that died versus only one member of the Missouri militia. And if history of the Missourians and of this conflict is anything to believe, I tend to think that it was the Missouri militia that was more aggressive here in this. But the Missouri militia lies to Governor Boggs, says that it's the church that was the aggressors here, that he's got to do something. And so two days after the Battle of Crooked River, Governor Boggs signs what's now known as the Extermination Order. 
was actually known as the Executive Order Number 44, but no one knows it by that. Everyone knows it by the Extermination Order. Now, I think it's important to realize because we hear this word, Extermination Order, and our alarm bells go off, right? Because here in our modern day vernacular, we hear extermination and we think he ordered the people of Missouri to kill off the Mormons. Well, that wasn't necessarily the case. The word exterminate, especially then, meant more to drive out or to expel or to banish. And so the purpose of the extermination order wasn't to kill off all the members of the church. It was to drive them out of Missouri. At this point, elections are coming up. Governor Boggs wants to secure his victory in the election to please the Missourians. And so he's willing to do whatever it takes. And in his mind, he's thinking, well, the members of the church are causing all this conflict. And so they've got to go. However, something important to note, though, is that after the extermination order is when the Hans Mill massacre happened. Now, history can't tell us how exactly that happened, if the people who initiated the Hans Mill massacre heard extermination order and just went off to kill members of the church, or if they went with the extent to drive them out and it escalated, we don't know. But it is important to recognize that the Hans Mill massacre did happen after that extermination order was issued. Another super interesting thing to me about the extermination order is that executive order was in place all the way up until 1976 when the governor of Missouri repealed the extermination order, called it unconstitutional, and apologized to the members of the church for it ever being in place. So technically, if you were a member of the church living in Missouri before 1976, you were doing so illegally. (laughs) So... This extermination order comes, it's October of 1838, it is already bitter cold, and the members of the church between October of 1838 and the early, early spring, like March of 1839, now have to go east into Illinois. They cross the Mississippi River there, and they end up just on the east side of the Mississippi River in a place called Quincy, Illinois, where the people, it seems, were at least sympathetic to the members of the church. They were helping them to the degree that they could. But it didn't change the fact that here were a lot of members of the church who were cold, who were hungry, who didn't have proper shelter, proper clothes. And so it was a really dark and difficult time for members of the church. Eventually, in April of 1839, the prison guards in Liberty Jail were escorting Joseph and his companions to a different jail and allowed them to escape, realizing that it was ridiculous that they had been jailed as long as they had. So Joseph and those men then took off to Quincy, Illinois, and eventually purchased what was then called Commerce, Illinois, which was kind of an ironic name because no one was going to settle there to make money. It wasn't farmland. It wasn't a place where you could build up businesses. It was a mosquito-infested swamp. And truly, anyone without vision would have taken a look at that area and been like, "Uh, it's best just to let it rot. But partly because Joseph had vision and partly because it was really cheap, (laughs) they bought this area in Commerce, Illinois, They began to build canals and ditches and began to drain the swamp, drain commerce back into the Mississippi River, and eventually built up this city. 
which they then called Nauvoo. Nauvoo is a Hebrew word meaning beautiful. And truly, my friends, that is what Nauvoo would become. It would become a beautiful city, the city of Joseph. And here in Doctrine and Covenants section 124, verse 1, it says, Verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph Smith, I am well pleased with your offering and acknowledgments which you have made. For unto this end have I raised you up, that I might show forth my wisdom through the weak things of the earth. Now, I love this because the Lord is praising Joseph for his goodness. He's well pleased with the things that Joseph has done up until this point. But then it's almost like a backhanded compliment here, because then the Lord is going to say, that's the purpose. That's why I have built you up. That's why I've called you and asked you to do great things so that I could show everyone that I could do amazing things through the weak things of the earth. My friends, I think it's so important that we understand that the Lord uses the weak, sometimes the weakest, to bring forth his work. Nowadays, it's so easy to look back on Joseph Smith or to look back on early church history through the lens of our modern day understanding and to judge harshly and to get upset because Joseph wasn't perfect, because he made mistakes. But my friends, the doctrine and covenants makes it very, very clear that Joseph was not perfect, that Joseph was weak, that he was unlearned. Multiple times throughout the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord commands Joseph to repent. But my friends, that is the miracle of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that through the imperfect, through the weak, through the weakest, God could bring out beauty and truth and light. And the ultimate fruit of Joseph Smith as a prophet is the Book of Mormon. Through the weak, he was able to bring forth that beautiful testament of Jesus Christ. I testify that though Joseph Smith may have been weak, though he was not perfect, he was a prophet of God, and that he did bring forth the Book of Mormon and the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in these latter days. Thank you so much for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe, like, comment, or share. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen.